Welcome to Ag Future, presented by Alltech. Join us as we explore the challenges and opportunities facing the global food supply chain and speak with experts working to support a planet of plenty. I'm Tom Martin, and I'm joined by Matthew Smith. Based in the UK, Matthew is Vice President of Alltech and is responsible for Alltech ECO2, the global rumen function platform, and Alltech UK. He has worked extensively in the feed industry in Asia and Europe for more than 27 years. Greetings, Matthew. Hi, Tom. Well, the whole world's been through quite a difficult and strange year at the hands of this coronavirus and COVID-19. If you had to cite a few key outcomes of this experience, what would you say they are? I think, Tom, on reflection, there, there are many of those reflections, but the, real, the reality is it's the resilience of uh, producers, the resilience of the food chain. I never thought that I would walk into uh, a supermarket and see empty shelves uh, in, in my lifetime. And like so many people across the world was witness to that. But I think uh, the takeaway I would have is how quickly the food chain managed to rectify itself and how quickly we managed to get food onto shelves. So it's really that speed of recovery uh, after the initial shock. That's one big thing. I would also say within our industry, from talking to customers across the supply chain, it's been that uh, demand shift from uh, the QSR, the the quick service uh, restaurant segment, into retail. So retail for milk and milk products and, and meat. And then finally, the big take home for me personally has been the focus that we now have on food, about its provenance, about uh, the way in which eating habits have changed, and this growing awareness of food health and uh, you know healthy food, healthy people. So the nature of demand has shifted. What about pricing? What's happened with pricing for dairy during this time? If, if we look at the situation today, I think, you know, demand is high. Um, we saw in the first six months of last year uh, a rapid drop in terms of farm gate pricing and in some regions demand dropping. Um, however, that did rectify itself, I guess, through the second half of last year. I think one of that, the drivers on the demand side, Tom, is this the idea that you know, milk is a healthy drink and has health benefits in terms of improving immunity. And so... I, I think from a commodity perspective, demand is still is still good. There'll be lots of stockpiling going on. I would have thought at, at the moment there'll be caution across the world, so stockpiles will be going up. And that, of course, changes some of the, the, the shapes of demand. And now, of course, we, we start to see shortages on the protein side, uh, particularly soya. And as that run continues for, for, for most of the world, I think prices in many regions may well have held up by farm gate prices, but feed cost has really been impacted. And, and with that growing and getting higher, that impacts margins. And so the margins are, are quite seriously under threat in many parts of the world. Um, in some parts of the world, getting up to 7 10% less than they were this time last year. So with that demand, I guess, is going to stall later on in the year, Tom. That, that's what the, the, the markets are telling us. Hmm. And that will become even more of a challenge for producers and margins, I guess, that will continue to, to stay under pressure. Well, according to data from the International Farm Comparison Network, the IFCN, there has been an enormous increase in dairy production. Um, and in what parts of the world are you seeing the most impressive growth in production? I remember vividly 
about 10 years ago reading a report from uh, Euromonitor, the guys who pulled data together on the, on the food industry and other industries. And they predicted uh, a 10% compound annual growth rate for, for milk demand in Asia. And I remember looking at that figure thinking, wow, that, 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 that can't be the case because the rest of the world at the time, that, that number was less than 1%. But I think if I look back in, in that 10-year period and having spent a lot of time in Asia myself, we have seen that come through. The demand is definitely there. People are looking to drink milk everywhere uh, across the Asia-Pacific region. And you know that still holds today and into the future as far as the drivers uh, exist. So we do see a growth in production as well, but it's, it's a challenge. Raising dairy in parts of Asia is a massive challenge given the fact you've got you know, real limitations in terms of forage growth. But as we start to see more and more investment uh, from large-scale processes around the world going to Asia, uh, more education about growing those forages, about managing managing cows, then those factors are coming together now and, and we are seeing this, this huge explosion in production. Uh, it started in, in South Asia, principally in India, where they have an awful lot of cows and, and making those cows more productive, even uh, taking a small increment, incremental increase in production, and we see we see a big change in the in, in the volume. So Asia is where it's happening. Um, there are other parts of the world. Some last year, you know, Russia uh, really uh, has been managing a, a bit of a turnaround in terms of production and moving away from reliance on on imports of of, of cheese and butter and really increasing productivity. Are there spots in the world where production is in decline? And if so, what's happening? I don't necessarily think that we should think of it as production declining. It's probably where it, it isn't growing. Hmm. It, you know, one could argue is decline. There, there are parts of the world, some of the Latin American countries have found a, a, a major challenge because of economy and uh, politics. Uh, parts of Asia, in fact, Japan, Korea have seen uh, reductions in volume. But again, I think that's more driven by the high cost of production in those parts of the world uh, and people may be looking at other choices. How are dairy alternatives derived from coconuts, almonds, rice, oats, and other plant-based sources, how are they impacting demand for products derived from cow's milk? I think that segment is, is clearly, I don't think I, I know from talking to food companies and, and retailers, that segment is growing and it's growing quickly. Of course, the numbers have to be looked into. Uh, the numbers don't lie. Uh, and the reality is that I don't think there's been a significant impact on the demand for dairy uh, overall. Again, when you look at uh, statistics and commentary on those statistics, it, it's interesting to, to, to think that uh, you know here, here in Europe, where I'm based, the total volume of those alternatives uh, in, in 2019 was the same as 1% of the volume produced by the dairy cows in Europe. So I would say not a significant impact. It will continue to grow. Consumers will exercise their choice. However, the demand for dairy continues to outstrip, maybe not in terms of growth rates, but certainly in terms of volumes. What sorts of challenges to dairy production do you consider the most important to think about and to, to overcome? Again, look, looking at the world today, uh, you know, in, in the present moment, uh, I feel, Tom, that the sustainability debate is no longer with us. I think it's gone. Uh, I think it's now a question of policymakers asking us in the industry, you know, what are you guys doing about it? 
it, it's taken, it's a given, it, it's with us. So that's why I say it's no longer a debate. And I think it's critical that producers don't simply view sustainability as an added cost burden. If you view sustainability in its true light, it's an efficiency gain. And we have to get that message across uh, to producers, across to the supply chain. It's critical that we get that right. You don't have to look too far back in history. And it's clear, you know, across all species, farmers have become so, farmers and producers have become so much more efficient in the last 50 years. And if we look back with the right optics, we would probably say today we've done a pretty good job. But we know there's a lot more to do and there's a lot more importantly to demonstrate to those policymakers and to the public that, you know, we, we can implement those changes and innovation will certainly help us measure, monitor and, and be able to describe how our industry is sustainable. So I, I think that's the biggest challenge. Mm-hmm. Matthew, from the perspective of your leadership role for Alltech ECO2, what are your views about the EU Green Deal and the goal for Europe to become the first continent in the world to become carbon neutral by 2050? I, I think it's a, it's a noble cause. At the same time, though, it, it is aspirational. And uh, the targets which are being discussed and may well become legislation soon do require scientific basis because those policies once set will have to take into account consumer demand. Really at the heart of the Green Deal lies human health. It is about human health that sits right at the center. And of course, reducing the use of farming inputs, you know, fertilizer, pesticides um, has been going on for many, many years as machinery, as, as mapping systems, measurement systems have all become more efficient. But ultimately, Reducing the use of those inputs could potentially lead to a reduction in food output, which ultimately, you know, will mean that the retailers can't keep the shelves stocked. So I think we need some some science-based targets, uh, and it's a great opportunity, actually, Tom, for science to, uh, to 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 lead us in the right direction. What about the issue of managing the waste produced by farming? What's happening, or would you say needs to happen in that area? Waste on the farm, in any farming system, has always probably been perceived as physical. If you think about a typical dairy unit, you know, those losses can be as high as, as, as 25% from, from pasture and conserved feedstuffs, which are converted into milk. But I think we need to add to that the fact that you know, environmental waste is also a big consideration. So producers are increasingly aware of, of, of the level of waste and, and understand, too, that you know, as we make efficiency gains, the real heart of the issue is to reduce those losses, to reduce the waste. And management practices have taken us a long way. Machinery has taken us a long way. Uh, nutrition has taken us a long way, particularly mitigating some of those losses with the use of feed additives. But um, everything has to come together, Tom. It, it's about making, you know, doing 100 things by 1% to achieve 100%. Everything needs to come together so that we get the right amount of of feed converted into protein. And a 1% reduction in waste ultimately is is going to impact that bottom line and and, sustainability. And speaking of things coming together, uh, do you see a need for more consolidation in the food chain? And if you do, what would that look like? I think it has to come. When I compare food chains in, in, in the Western world in comparison to some of the food chains in Asia, 
where they do have incredible integration right the way through from crops harvested onto the farm, the feedstuffs, the animals, the processing, right the way through to the retailer, all in, all in one chain. Uh, it is possible to do. I think we will see a lot more integration in the next few years. Uh, I think some of the retailers will actually integrate back into the chain, take more ownership here in the UK. Most of the retailers would have dedicated farmer producer supply groups now. And that's good for the industry because they take a, a keen interest in terms of cooperation, making sure that there's, there's transparency in that food chain, there's provenance to allow the whole chain to tell the story of food. And I think when you have the challenges that we've faced in the past 12 months, i.e. a pandemic hitting, those integrated food chains are probably faster to respond to a crisis than, than a fragmented food chain will be. So I, I think there are a number of forces at large, Tom, which are driving that integration anyway. Let's turn now to food security. And first, if you would define that for us in your mind, what, what is food security? I, I, I tend to think of uh, food security through a simple lens. You know, if at the end of the day, you ask yourself the question, you know, how much food have I wasted today? If your answer is zero, I've not wasted anything, then food security is an issue for you. And ensuring that we can overcome challenges of global trade, challenges of, of regulatory hurdles, which do impact food security, I think you know, the, the, the biggest challenge is, is disease, be that disease, animal disease or human disease. We see how damaging the, the PERS virus, the, the African swine flu, uh, and indeed avian influenza can actually be on those supply chains. So uh, it's important that we, we try to do everything we can to stay one step ahead. And again, as I said uh, originally, do everything that we can in that supply chain to make sure it's resilient. Jumping over to uh, another area, labor, you have talked about fair treatment of workers. What are your concerns there? I think the concerns that, that, that I would have are the same concerns that consumers have today, Tom, in that, you know, when you make your food choice, that food choice in, in, in is still driven by price. But of course, there are other factors that come into that decision now, more so than nutrition, but, but where does that food come from? And concerns over, you know, fair treatment of, of workers in that supply chain is now very much at the top of mind for consumers. So again, I think the industry can, can, can work together to, to, to help with, with education and make sure that everybody involved in that supply chain understands the importance of the role that they're, they're, they're involved in. What sorts of innovations or emerging technologies are on your radar, have captured your attention and your interest? Uh, te technologies, it's certainly everywhere in our industry today and does come as a surprise to some people who don't maybe understand the, the, the farming industry. Uh, I was talking to uh, a group of uh, school kids a couple of weeks ago who, who were asking me um, you know, about <laughs> believing that, that, that farming was just animals and they were amazed to understand that, you know, today it's about artificial intelligence, it's about big data, um, it's about robots helping make a, a, a big difference in terms of stock management. So I, for me, technology, there are so many parts to that technology question. But I think that keeping an eye on things, 
allowing producers to to maybe uh, spend time focusing on other parts of the business. Also allowing them, giving them peace of mind that if intervention is needed, you know, you're going to be told that intervention is needed and warned that if you don't do it, you know, that there will be an impact on your business. So I think that the collection of that data and what that data will tell us in terms of uh, ultimately sustainability, the more we can amass, the more we can interpret, the more we can learn. So I'm I'm really excited about where technology is is taking us. I think it's 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 kind of keeping pace with this whole discussion on sustainability. And I think we need to focus wherever we can on making it work to tell our story. That's Alltech Vice President Matthew Smith joining us from the UK. Thank you, Matthew. Thanks very much, Tom. And next in our dairy series, Kansas farm owner and manager Ken McCarty. I'm Tom Martin, and thanks for listening. Join us for the rest of this series as we reflect on how the agriculture industry adapted in 2020 and speak with experts on what's in store for agri-food in 2021. Thank you for joining us. Be sure to subscribe to Ag Future wherever you listen to podcasts.